That passive-aggressive person at work might be driving you nuts, but they probably aren't intending to make things difficult. In this episode, what to know about passive-aggressive behavior, and more importantly, how to deal with it in helpful ways. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 595. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the more difficult situations that almost all of us deal with at some level in our work and in our personal lives, too, is how do we handle passive-aggressive behavior. It's a challenge we all run into. Also, some of us sometimes do that ourselves as well. How do we actually navigate that well, not only in the workplace, but also in so many of the relationships we have in our lives? Today, I'm glad to welcome back to the show someone who's an expert at conflict, communication, and workplace dynamics, and will help us to really navigate this so effectively. I'm so glad to welcome back Amy Gallo. She combines the latest management research with practical advice to deliver evidence-based ideas on how to improve relationships and excel at work. She is a contributing editor at Harvard Business Review and writes about interpersonal dynamics, communicating ideas, leading and influencing people, and building your career. She is also co-host of the excellent HBR Women at Work podcast. She is the author of the HBR Guide to Dealing with Conflict, a how-to guidebook about handling conflict professionally and productively, and now her new book, Getting Along, How to Work with Anyone even difficult people. Amy, what a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's so nice to be back, Dave. Thanks for having me. I loved the book, and there's so much in this book we're not going to cover in this conversation, but the thing that came up to me as I was reading through the book was the chapter on how to handle passive-aggressive behavior. And then after I read it, coming back to you, you told me this is the question you get more than any other. So it it's interesting how often this comes up in our conversations, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's funny, I can almost time it. So I, I, I will give a talk or a workshop and then we move into the Q&A and I can almost always see the, the look on someone's face when they're about to ask, but how do I deal with someone who's behaving passive aggressively? And it it's inevitable. It's always the first, second, or third question. And it it speaks to how universal this problem is. And I say universal, not just that we all have to deal with passive-aggressive people, but we all behave passive-aggressively on occasion. And so it's one of those, those behaviors I was really excited to dig into the research on. It really was sort of the impetus for this book because I knew so many people were struggling with di- different types of difficult people, but this was the one I was hearing the most about. One of the things I love about your writing is you're so transparent with where you run into things in your own work and your life as well, too. And I love the line in the book where you're talking about, you know, what causes passive aggressive behavior. And you mentioned a text you sent to your husband not that long ago, and you were trying to get him to stop somewhere or not stop somewhere. I can't remember, but come home you, you quickly. Repli- I wanted him to come home quickly. Yeah. 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 You and replied, I- it's fine if that's what you want to do. <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
And I, I would love to tell you that was like the one time I've, I've sent a passive aggressive text <laughs> like that. But it, it's often a response to not getting what we want. We feel powerless. Mm. We feel like we're frustrated and all of our straightforward approaches have not worked. And so we resort to, you know, the age old, well, what if I just slightly aggressive <laughs> in a passive way? Will that actually make him come home sooner? And it didn't. Um, but <laughs> it, sometimes that passive aggression works, which is why so many people resort to using it. Yeah. And I think it's really helpful for us all to recognize that it's so easy to see in other people, isn't it? And then when we do it, of course, like either we don't see it or we're perfectly justified in, in why we do it. And you mentioned that in the book that one of the the things that tends to be, uh, I don't know if trigger is the right word, but it, when you get swamped by a lot of things going on of, of resp not responding as in a healthy way. And I read that and I thought, that is me too. Like when I am overwhelmed on email or requests or meetings, and then someone else perfectly legitimately asks for something that nor a normal circumstances would be perfectly fine. That's when I get really swamped and I'm I'm way more likely to respond in a passive aggressive way. Yeah, because what you want to say is, can you not see that I'm overwhelmed, that I have 300 unanswered emails in my inbox, that I've just been given a new project that I don't know how to do, that my kid is sick and I have to take them to the doctor? How can you not see that, right? But of course you don't. So instead you say, yeah, fine, I'll do that, right? Really passive aggressive behavior comes because there's so many things we're afraid of. It might be failure or rejection or conflict. Conflict avoidance is a huge reason that people resort to, to passive-aggressive behavior. Or you feel powerless and you can't actually get what you want. You can't influence or persuade the person, like with my husband in that text, to do what you think is either the right thing or what you want or what you need. Yeah, indeed. And there's... There's so many things that we can do to respond in a more helpful way when we see this coming from other folks. And one of the invitations you make to us is to avoid labeling passive-aggressive behavior. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, think about it. If you were behaving in a way that you weren't proud of, like you just said, you're under a lot of stress. You're in those those moments where you're overwhelmed and you do something and someone's like, stop behaving passive aggressively. Now, if you were in a good moment, you might you might be able to take that feedback and say, oh, wow, okay, yeah, that's what I was doing. Let me change. Let me adjust. Let me respond differently. But chances are nine times out of 10, you are not going to have the resources the self-awareness, the ability to respond to that feedback. And in fact, it's just going to make you angry. And so really, and people who, who behave passive-aggressively often probably don't see themselves. You know, they don't probably go to bed at night going, wow, I was very passive-aggressive today. You know, like no one, mm. people don't think about, about themselves. They think that they're being petty or they're under stress or they're being short-tempered or they think they're actually being effective in communicating because if if the reason for their passive aggression, for example, is that they're conflict avoidant, what they're hoping for is harmony or a connection with the other person. And they may think, well, I didn't ruffle any feathers. I just, I got my point across, but I did it, you know, in this more passive circuitous way. And so 
labeling the behavior, I think, is just counterproductive. Now, I I do caveat that a little bit, that if this is a chronic problem where you've tried a lot of the tactics we're going to talk about, the tactics I shared in my book, and they don't work, you may have to pull out the label and just call it what it is. But that's not where I would start, because I think that's going to put you and the other person at odds rather than bringing you together, which is what you want to do when you're dealing with any difficult person, is try to find a way to collaborate to reach a working relationship or a solution that works for both of you. And how hard it is anyway to label someone else's emotions and intents. Like, I I know how hard it is just for me to label sometimes my own emotions and intents. Like, the chances that I'm going to be, I'm going to nail exactly what's going on with someone else. It's possible, but it's not likely, right? So. No, and that's right. And and we're, we are horrible interpreters of other people's behavior. I mean, all you have to do is look at crying, for example, right? We see someone crying and we're like, oh, they're sad. You know, and really, when we cry, we're like, well, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm despondent. Like, there's a zillion other reasons we know we cry. But when we see someone else do it, we we think we're, we understand perfectly, but it's just a narrow range of reasons that we give them. And the same is true with passive aggression. Like, you know, if you say, wow, you must be frustrated, Right. They're going to come back and say, no, I'm not frustrated. I'm angry. Or, you know, no, I'm, no, I'm not frustrated. I'm, I'm upset. Right. You, they're, you're probably going to get it wrong. So the, you're better off asking that person questions or trying to respond to what you think is the message underneath the behavior rather than trying to actually, you know, sort of diagnostically figure out, well, they're feeling this way and that's why they must behaving, be behaving this way. Ah, super helpful. And you you mentioned a number of these questions that we could ask to be curious and to hypothesize like what's happening with someone. And I want to ask you about those. But even before I do, the the line that is like my favorite line or two lines in this book is this one. I'm quoting you. Remember that not everyone feels comfortable discussing their thoughts and opinions openly. If you can focus on your coworker's underlying concern or question, rather than the way they're expressing themselves, you can address the actual problem. I read that and I thought, that's so powerful. And it's, it's th- the message here, I think, is focus on the content, mm-hmm. not the delivery of how they're doing it, right? Yes, that's exactly right. And I think, especially with passive aggression, it is so easy to get caught up in, well, what you implied was this, or what you said was this, or what, right? And it's, you get so focused on their tone or their facial expressions or what they didn't say. And it can feel like a rabbit hole. I mean, I've, I've heard people describe dealing with passive aggressive people as shadow boxing, right? Like you're trying to land and there's nowhere to land. So, really try to focus on, rather than the noise around the message, what's the actual message? And the message might be, I'm afraid to have conflict. The message may be, I don't think this is a good strategy, which is why I haven't done the things I said I would do. Or I feel disrespected, which is why I keep saying I'll show up at those meetings and I never show up, right? Try to figure out what is underneath that and address that because then if you can address their their need, their underlying concern, you're going to get farther than trying to agree on, are you behaving passive-aggressively or not? Is the way you just delivered that comment 
appropriate for the workplace, right? Those are questions that don't have an easy answer. And so you're better off focusing on the underlying business issue or their underlying concern. This is reminding me so much of a colleague that I had many years ago who I had a really wonderful personal relationship with. And she was just and and is just a very bubbly, friendly person, enthusiastic, except once in a while, we'd have a conversation about something and she would get really quiet and she was normally really loud and she would ask a really soft question. And then she'd sort of quickly end the conversation and walk away. And the first couple of times it happened, I didn't really understand what had happened. And I kind of went about my day. And then I'd somehow I'd find out later, either through her or someone else, like, oh, that was her disagreeing with me. And it would never have occurred to me that that's what was happening uh, until I saw the pattern happen a few times. And finally, I got to a place where I recognized that. And then when I saw that, I could be a little more curious and ask some questions. And I, I have to tell you, Amy, I wish I was a better person than this. Every single time we worked together for many years, every time, single time she did that, it irritated me so badly. <laughs> Right? <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I'm, like, I'm a little inside. irritated hearing about it. <laughs> yeah, because so, yeah, like in my mind, I'm like, why can't you just tell me like you are unhappy with something we're doing or we said or we go- direction we're going in this project? And I had to really realize at some point, like for whatever reason, she's just not equipped to communicate in that way. Either she never learned how or whatever, and. Once I got there, it it allowed me to have a little bit more grace for her, but I was able to, even despite the irritation, to change my behavior and to actually open up the conversation a little bit more once I saw that pattern happening. But it took a while. Yeah, and it's and some people never get past that. I mean, some people land on the irritation and just sit there. And I think that's and then that you can imagine this person who you had a working, you know, a positive working relationship with, you can imagine that quickly deteriorating if you're so annoyed that these, uh, once in a while, she does this behavior and you're thinking, why can't she X, right? Doesn't she know that that's not an appropriate way to disagree? Why can't she just be more straightforward, right? And you get stuck in that. And then you start having confirmation bias. So maybe there's times where she's not actually doing that, but you start to see it. You see it as evidence that she's not straightforward. She's not a straight shooter. She, you know, doesn't care about having open, honest conversations. And so things just quickly fall apart. And this is what I see, you know, in all the interviews I did for the book, I I kept seeing these relationships that were, were either positive or neutral that with some really sometimes pretty minor problems in their interactions just became very negative relationships that really weighed heavily on at least the person I was interviewing. And I'm sure the other person as well. You know, one of my core messages is it's about being the adult in the room and saying to yourself, Mm. okay, she's limited. We're all limited. I'm probably limited in ways I don't even know yet. So let me just accept that this is her way of disagreeing. I can be irritated by it, but I can also try to make it easier for her to be open and honest with me. And I can also address the underlying message by saying, I get the sense you're not fully on board with this. What else should we talk about, for example? Uh, Or, 
you know, the way we ended that conversation the other day, I feel like we didn't land on the same page. What else do we need to have to discuss? Right. I think there's there's ways that you can get over the irritation as you did and draw the other person into conversation with you as opposed to polarizing and saying, well, they're a person who doesn't know how to be direct. They're a passive aggressive person and I'm a direct person. And that just becomes you just have greater distance between you in a way that that could very well damage a, a perfectly good working relationship. And what a wonderful way of how you just said that to honor someone's dignity as a human being. And and this goes back to what we started with on labeling. Like my my colleague from years ago, I'm sure she we had that conversation and she thought, I just had healthy conflict. Like she would never label her her behavior as I was passive aggressive, just like I wouldn't if I was passive aggressive, right? And like going entering into a place of setting aside that irritation, like you just said, like, how can I be in this moment at least the the bigger person in the room to like be gracious, to allow that person to have their dignity, and at the same time to just ask some follow-up questions and not focus so much on the delivery, but what's the intent behind this? And that's a good lead into like the, the how to do that of there's a phrase I think used in the book called hypothesis testing of, mm-hmm. of opening up the conversation a bit. What does that sound like to to be able to do that in a way that opens that up potentially? Yeah. I mean, I think and hypothesis testing actually comes from um, Professor Gabe Adams, who who I interviewed for this chapter, who does a lot of the research that this chapter is based on about interactions, particularly interactions with passive aggressive coworkers. And that hypothesis testing is is, as we were talking about before, focusing on the underlying message. So here it's an exercise in keeping your tone respectful and non-judgmental because it can be very easy to let this become a snarky question, but really trying to focus on what could be going on. So you might say, you know, I've noticed you haven't been responding to my emails. Is there something wrong? I don't mean to pry, but I just want to be sure everything's okay with you. Now, mm-hmm. if you say that as I've noticed you haven't been responding to my emails. Is something wrong? Right? Like there, you can you can inject the the tone, the snarky tone into it. But if you, you know, sort of say, I've noticed this behavior, what's going on? Right. That allows them to open up. And it, and for example, if you had done that with your your former colleague, she might have said, Oof, I don't really like conflict. Right. And it's really hard mm. for me to say when I disagree. And then you can say, okay, right? How, okay, so when you do disagree, what would be comfortable for you? How can I make it easier? It's also possible she might have said, nothing's wrong, right? Which is a classic passive-aggressive reaction, um, right. which, which is fine. And I want to acknowledge, you know, we're trying to be generous. We're trying to be collaborative. There's no guarantee that the other person will step up, right? The hope is that they will, but retaliating in a passive-aggressive way does nothing for you. So to me, opening up the conversation, inviting them in is the best way, gives you the best chance of of having a more positive or at least a neutral interaction. The theme that's striking me and what you just said is there's a there's a lightness, there's a curiosity, and there's a I assume good intent of this person. And and so I'm just I'm 
I'm not asking this in an accusatory way. I'm coming to this of a, huh, this isn't like I'm I'm curious about this and um tell me more kind of a it's it's an open invitation and that if you do that like you said that there's going to be people who are not going to respond to that but it's a lot more likely you're going to get a some engagement there than you would if you approach it in that snarky way. Yeah, absolutely. And actually there's a Brené Brown has this great tactic that I love to use and and you can use in this hypothesis testing which is to say you know, this is the story I'm telling myself, right? So you might describe uh, the behavior. I notice you haven't been responding to my emails. The story I'm telling myself is that you're mad about something. I realize that's my interpretation. That may not be what's going on. What is going on, right? So instead of saying, you haven't responded to my emails, something's wrong, you must be mad, right? Doing all the labeling, assigning of feelings, you're just saying, here's my interpretation. It's just my interpretation. I'm sure there's a different explanation. What might that be? And again, it's sort of opening up, trying to create a safe environment for the person to actually talk about what's going on for them. You know, again, they may not take the invitation, but I think you will feel better having tried to to bring them in as opposed to pushing them away. Yeah, and you own that then. It's not I'm assigning intent or whatever to the other person. I, I love that invitation from Brené Brown of like, okay, I, here's here's my story. Here's here's what I am taking away from this, right or wrong. And does that line up with what's happening? And that that's the opening then for the conversation about what's next and how you go there. Uh, how do you go from there? And once that opening has happened, there's an opportunity to make a request. And that's one of the invitations you make too is to make a direct request. And what does that sound like to make a request of someone in a way that is likely to help to move the conversation forward a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that you have to be clear before any of that. You have to be clear on what you actually want. And and I want to make this caveat before, and, and I'll, of course, answer your question, but I want to make this caveat because I think if we get hung up on the delivery we may think what we really want is them to stop being passive aggressive. And that's not really in ah. our control. And they may not even be able to control that themselves. They may be doing it for reasons they don't realize, you know, subconscious reasons that are influencing their behavior. So I would, you know, start to get clear on what you want. So to carry the example of you haven't, you know, pe- someone who doesn't respond to the email or doesn't show up to the meetings, right? You may think, I want them to just be straightforward. But really, is it that you want them to be straightforward or is it that you want them to just start showing up to the meetings or start to respond? So then you can say, you know, you said you wanted to help with this project. You haven't joined the three meetings we've had so far. And I haven't seen a response from you on the meeting, the you know follow-up I sent from last week, right? I'm disappointed and stressed because I'm not able to do all the work myself. I had trusted that you would be able to help. And if you're interested in helping out, I hope you are, I'd like you to attend the meetings, right? Mm. And just make that very clear. And then you might even give them an out saying, if you've changed your mind, if you aren't able to attend the meetings, I just need to know so I can get some diff- someone else to help in, you know, step in or help out. It's really sticking to the facts of the situation versus trying to again, go back to trying to label or sign intent. It's just, here's what I've noticed. And here's my request based on what I've noticed. 
That's right. And I think you want to be very careful with the passive aggressive person in particular, not to say things that can be debatable, right? So again, you've be you're behaving passive aggressively, completely debatable. That's right. You haven't joined the three meetings so far, not really debatable, right? I mean, yeah. someone could lie, right? And and passive aggressive folks sometimes do resort to lying, but it, chances are they're going to say, "Yep, didn't go to those meetings," right? And they might have a reason, but you want to, as you said, stick to the facts. I, there's a, a communication expert who calls this like you want to call the shots, like you're reporting on a, a soccer game, right? Like you're just. It's not a lot of emotion, although soccer is probably not a good example because people get very emotional about soccer. <laughs> but you're calling the shots like a referee, right? You're just mm. saying this happened, this happened, you know, but not getting into who's right, who's wrong. But here's the facts. Here's what I need. If you can't do that, I need to know so I can do something else and then yeah. and then go from there. And they still might not respond well, right? They, that they still may not change their behavior. Yeah, and I can tell you, you probably have listeners who are dealing with someone passive aggressive who are like, none of this will work with them, <laughs> right? Like mm. they're who really pr- probably feel very stuck. Maybe they've tried some of this. Maybe they've tried other things. And the reality is, you cannot force someone to stop this behavior. And I think that's it's one of the most frustrating things about dealing with people who who exhibit some of these difficult behaviors. But it's worth trying, and it's worth trying, you know, really different tactics. So you might try, you know, some of the hypothesis testing and see where that gets you. If it doesn't get you very far, you might make the direct request, right? You might, you know, invite the team to set norms. We can talk about that if you want to, you know, so you want to just try out different tactics, see see what works, what doesn't. And rather than trying one thing, this is what I see happen most often, and I do this myself, is you try one thing and you're like, all hope is lost. <laughs> like, it didn't work. <laughs> I'm done. Because it's so frustrating, you don't yeah. want to go back to that, right? Like, you don't want to do it again and again and just get the same results. But if you change the tactics you use, you might find something that actually works. Mm, I so appreciate you saying that because I have absolutely been down that route too, where I have made a really good faith attempt to do something like this. And same thing you just described, it didn't really work. And I'm like, well, see, yeah, <laughs> you know, I tried, I was the bigger person. Yep. And it it is like so many things yeah. in life and in relationships and leadership. It's a process, like it's an ongoing process. And so, I mean, one of the things that I really hear from you and thinking about how we're navigating like people who are showing up a lot in passive aggressive ways is like try a couple of different things like try a few of these tactics do it in a couple of different situations see if you're able to get some traction and then the other piece you mentioned with the team of course some of us are in the situation where we manage someone who shows up with a lot of this behavior and i'm curious what's different in that dynamic where it's it's maybe it's not a peer or a stakeholder or a client but now it's someone that you manage What's different about handling this with that kind of person and approaching it uh, to, to help move the situation forward? Yeah. With a direct report, I mean, it's it's interesting because I sometimes I'll talk to someone who's dealing with a passive-aggressive peer or even a passive-aggressive boss, and they'll say, oh, I just wish I was their manager so I could make them stop. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> well, have you yeah. ever been a manager of someone? <laughs> because generally you can't make them stop things. And I think people think because... I control their 
salary or what projects they get assigned to, that they're going to respond differently. And the truth is they will. They will respond probably a little bit better to any feedback you give them, but it's still not entirely in your control. That said, I would say as a manager, you, it is imperative that you address the behavior, particularly if it's impacting the rest of the team. And that's the passive aggressive behavior often isn't just one person and one situation, right? It's often they exhibit it in in variety of situations in meetings with other with peers, sometimes with people from different departments. And it, if it's impeding the work from getting done, it is on you as the manager to address it. There's two things I'll say when you're when you're trying to give feedback about about the behavior. One is try to figure out a goal that that person cares about, right? Maybe they do care deeply about having strong working relationships. Maybe they care about this signature project that the team is working on and that their behavior is getting in the way of, of the team making progress, right? Try to figure out a goal they care about. So when you give the feedback, you can make clear rather than everyone is annoyed with you, right? No one wants to hear the, that feedback. Say, this thing you care about, your your behavior in the meetings or with your peers or even with me is getting in the way of you reaching that goal, right? So really try to tie it to something they care about. The second thing is I think I would really lean into perception, right? So, because again, if you say you're behaving passive aggressively and that needs to stop, chances are they're going to fight with you about, well, is that really passive? No, I was just being honest. I was, you know, I, it's not safe here to express my opinion. Like they might have a whole litany of excuses, but if you can say the perception is that when you say you'll do something, people don't really know if you're going to actually follow through. They feel like you say yes, even when you mean no, right? That's the perception. I don't know what the reality is. We could probably debate that, but let's talk about how we alter that perception. And I think that's much easier for people to digest and to absorb as feedback as opposed to, you know, you're passive aggressive, which feels like something's fundamentally wrong with me. Ah. And sometimes the changing of the perception is easier because then it's not like, well, I have to change who I am. I have to change how it's instead I have to change how people see me. Mm, huge. I, and I'm thinking about perception and you cite Patrick Lencioni in the book and one of his phrases of the the danger here as a manager, if you don't address some of this is something he calls artificial harmony of you know, you s- people think everyone gets along really well and has open communication, but in fact, that's not actually what's happening in the organization. Yeah. I can't tell you how many companies I go in where they say, I've mentioned that phrase, artificial harmony, especially around conflict aversion, because it's a, it's a big one. And they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what we do here. And let's just say the name of the company is Harvard, just to, to take my, my employer. And they'll say, oh, we have a phrase here. It's called Harvard Nice. Right. And, and insert, you can insert any employer's name. Everyone has this phrase where they're like, oh, yeah, we act nice, but we're actually disagreeing either in the back channels or we have the simmering tension underneath. And so it's so I see it all the time, how that artificial harmony really impedes people from having open, honest conversations, you know, coming up with innovations, challenging the status quo 
And it encourages some of the behavior we're talking about around passive aggression because people get the message, it's not okay to disagree. And so they have to find other ways to get viewpoints out there that aren't shared by everyone. Every time I see your byline, Amy, on Harvard Business Review, I always read the articles. And I've learned over the years of senior writing is there's so many practical things that you always have for us. Um, and this conversation is no exception. Thank you so much for all the the practical advice. And the book goes a lot more in depth on so many of the other archetypes that we run into in the workplace. So if this, I mean, we all deal with difficult people, right? And so if this is something that's been helpful to you, I'd really invite you to grab uh, Amy's book, uh, go into the archetypes that are most, would be most helpful to you right now. There's just so much in here that's useful for folks and, um, and I know will really help people to practically address uh, situations. Thank you so much for all the work you've done and the research you've done on this. Oh, thank you, Dave. And, and thanks for, for this conversation. This is really, it's such a privilege for me to talk about the, this work because I I find it interesting. I find it helpful for me. I grow every day from doing this work and doing my writing. And, and uh, it's just a joy to talk about it, especially with someone who asks such good questions. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Well, you know, you you know, I often ask people at the end of conversations what they've changed their mind on. And I asked you that last year when you're on the show. I have a slightly different version of that question today because in I think the first chapter of the book, you mention that you've changed your mind on some of the tactics and strategies around handling conflict with people since you wrote your last book. And I was curious, what is it that you've changed your mind on from the past book to this new book? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Well, the, there's an editor answer, <laughs> like if I put my editor hat on, and then there's a sort of philosophical answer. And I'll I'll do the editor one because it's a semantic. But in my first book, I took a tip from like negotiations um, research and talked about the other person as your counterpart. And there's something so distancing about that and, and sort of clinical. And I really, when I when I sat down to write this book, I was so, I was like, I cannot use that word. It's just not, it, it doesn't capture the deep relationships we have with people, even people we don't like <laughs> at work. And, and it doesn't humanize them in a way that I think is really necessary to navigate some of that. So that that's my semantic answer. There, the other answer is that you know, my first book, The Each Fair Guide to Dealing with Conflict, I really wanted a straightforward, practical way to deal with conflict. And I think it works, but there are limitations. And I think what I've realized in between the five years when I wrote that book and when I started writing this one is that a lot of the tactics I shared don't work in the same way for everyone. In particular, People who have come from underestimated groups, women, people of color, you know, they a lot of the tactics that we encourage people to use don't work in the same way for them because of the penalties they incur for certain behaviors. Women, for example, for being assertive or advocating on behalf of themselves, you know, for women of color, particularly black women, to express something strongly may be interpreted as anger. Right. It, so I really tried to pay attention in this book to how certain tactics would work for people from different identity groups and accept that 
they won't all work for everyone depending on the context, not only the context of their identity, but the context of the relationship they have with the person, the workplace they work in, whether they have support from their boss or not. So this is more of a, rather than a do step one, step two, step three, this is more of meant to be a menu of tactics that you can use that hopefully you can experiment with, see what works, and then adjust accordingly, depending on the response you get, and also depending on what you know in terms of how you're interpreted by others. Amy Gallo is the author of Getting Along, How to Work with Anyone, Even Difficult People. Amy, thank you so much for your time and your work. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it. So much of good leadership is about having healthy conversations, several related episodes that will help you to do just that and are great compliments to today's message from Amy. One of them is episode 344, The Way to Have Conversations That Matter with Celeste Headley. We talked about how to get beyond just the typical conversations and really get into the depth of connection that so many of us want and need in our conversations, yes, in our personal lives, but also in the workplace, episode 344 for that. I'd also recommend episode 500, Four Habits That Derail Listening. Oscar Trimboli was with me and helped us look at the places where we tend to get in trouble as listeners. The patterns are very similar for so many of us. Episode 500 is a starting point to begin to identify where do you tend to have your listening get derailed and what can you do practically to do better? I'd also recommend the last episode I had with Amy, How to Prepare for Conflict. That was episode 530. Amy's done so much incredible work on conflict over the years. A great compliment to this conversation. And then finally, episode 560, The Way to Get People Talking. Andrew Warner joined me on that episode. He's the founder of Mixergy, has made an entire career out of doing hard-hitting, exceptionally good interviews with business entrepreneurs. And in that conversation, we talked about what we can learn from him in asking tough questions in interviews that actually help to get people talking and open them up. And there's a ton of resources and practical steps that each one of us can take in order to do a better job at getting people talking in a way that's healthy for both parties. Episode 560 for more on that. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. I'm inviting you today, if you haven't already, to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. That's going to give you access to the entire free membership library and all of the episodes that I've aired since 2011. Of course, all the episodes are free available on all the apps and all the services and will continue to be. What we've done with the free membership, though, is made it a lot easier for you to track down exactly what you need right now. So, for example, conversation is one of the categories inside the free membership. If you go over to the episode library, click on conversation, you're going to see all of the episodes that we've aired over the years that have something to do with helping us all have better and healthier conversations. It's just one of the dozens of categories of areas that you can find inside of the free membership. I'm inviting you to set up that now at coachingforleaders.com so you can find the conversations that are most helpful to you right now and will move you forward as a leader. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Bill George back to the show. He's the former CEO of Medtronic. He's returning to the show to give us a bit of insight 
on the way leadership can derail us. A bit of a warning for us next week on the things that can sometimes set us in the wrong direction. Join me for that conversation with Bill, and I hope you have a great week. Take care.